Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. John, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hello, Jim. Uh, John here. Uh, really enjoy your show, Jim. First time caller. Thanks for imparting all your wisdom on us. Well, thank you. Uh, I've got a question, Jim. I, I'm going to replace all three toilets in my house. They're about 25 years old. I've got tile in each bathroom. And I think I've heard you talk about the wax ring or the flange down there. I went to the store, and, and you know, there's quite a few choices. And I yes. wasn't sure which one to pick for a, for a wax ring type of thing. Well, the first thing you're going to want to do is actually probably pull one of the toilets and see what's under there. Uh, and the reason I say that... They make just the regular wax ring, mm -hmm. and they make one that's double thick. And the reason I'm saying you want to take a look, you you mentioned you have tile. If the tile was added after you know later, like the house was originally built with linoleum floors, and then tile was put in, that raises it, and that's why they have the double wax rings. Okay. Uh, but if the tile was originally there, then the flange should be high enough that you don't have to worry about getting the the double thick wax ring and and, I, and they're readily available at any box store yeah uh, that's well how about all these other uh there's other ones that aren't wax rings they've got like rubber and stuff yes on. and uh that i was just getting ready to head down that road because they do have some that are made out of neoprene and you know they're they're quite a bit more expensive they're going to do the same thing here's it what is the advantage to those on a wax ring, if the toilet rocks at all, the wax doesn't expand to fill that gap. On those rubberized, neoprene, things like that, if the toilet rocks just a little bit, the the ring there has expansive and it stays sealed. Okay. So most plumbers are still sticking with just a wax ring, but there is absolute just because of sheer cost, there's absolutely nothing wrong with those, you know, uh, synthetic ones though. So neoprene, look for that. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks so much, Jim. You bet. I appreciate it. Bye -bye. Have a good one, John. On today's show, you were speaking with a homeowner who was asking about foundation repair on a pier and beam foundation. Unless I misunderstood, you said that a lifetime warranty wasn't available for a repair on a pier and beam foundation because of the potential for movement in the underlying soil. I would think the same could be said about foundation repair made for a slab foundation, even though lifetime transferable warranties are available on this type of repair. Please clarify for me. Thanks a lot, Jim, and enjoy your evening. All right, Joe, here's the deal. A slab foundation repair, when you level it, you are driving pilings or drilling piers or putting helical or steel piles deep into the ground. On a pier and beam block and base, well let's start with pier and beam. A pier and beam foundation has a perimeter concrete beam. On that you can still drive the piers and still get the lifetime warranty. Where you don't get a lifetime warranty is on a block and base and the crawl space area of a pier and beam foundation because most of the time all you're doing is reshimming something that's already there. And a lot of times it's just a base pad on the surface with the blocks on top of it. So you adjust the house and you reshim it. Nothing deep down into, into the ground in order to stabilize it. 
and that's the reason it doesn't have the lifetime warranty on it. In some cases, I do go in and drive piles and replace those. And you can drive steel piles, you can drive concrete piles. Uh, if you want to cut through floors, you can do a drill pier or a helical. But in general, you don't do that. You just adjust what's there. But if somebody wants to go through the expense of installing a deep system, you can then get the lifetime warranty on a block and base or a pier and beam. It just costs substantially more. And to give you an idea, cost-wise, to go in and adjust a lot of, let's say, just a a straight pier and beam foundation. The perimeter beam, we'll say, is, is where it's supposed to be. You're just adjusting the crawl space. You're typically looking at something in the neighborhood of $1,800 to $2,200. That's it. Same on a block and base foundation. You know, to go in and just adjust it, do a one-day adjustment. No rotten rotten wood to replace, nothing like that. $1,800 to $2,200. If you wanted to start driving piles or put something more substantial, for each one of the block stations you see underneath there, you can add roughly $500. So you can see it adds up very quick. You look underneath a house that's got... Uh, let's just say 10 stations, which would be actually very light. I mean, you wouldn't, you typically have more than that, but you're well over $5,000 at that point. So that's the reason for the, for the difference. Hello, Kevin. Hey, good afternoon, Jim. Appreciate your show. Thanks. Jim, my father has a, about, about a 65 year old, I mean, a house built in 1965, 67 timeframe. Uh-huh. Uh, it's brick exterior. He's had the floor leveled a few times. Uh, they did tunnel under and did it from the bottom. But his brick on the outside is cracking. The uh, you know the mortar joints and such. Yeah, it's got runs running down from the windows and such. You know, I, I was just at his house looking at. And, you know, my option first is man, it just needs to be rebricked. But is there is there other options? I know I've seen people just fill in the gaps with you know like uh, mortar joint. Um, cock and such like that, yeah. and then paint over it. What, what, are, what are some good options to fix that? Well, first question I have is, are these cracks just now opening up, or is this stuff that just wasn't repaired after it was leveled? Yeah, it's, it's a combination of uh, both. Because if stuff uh, is opening some, up like that, that's an indication that something's moving again. Right, right. So it may want yeah, to get well, that checked first. But as far as the options, what you were describing when they... Uh, redo the mortar lines is called tuck pointing right and brick masons actually can come out they'll remove a little bit of the mortar and then install new mortar uh, and they can match the colors to where you don't see it the the ones that you see that stick out like a sore thumb is typically typically because somebody did it that didn't know what they were doing right right okay. and that's that's the best way to do it is to just have it retuck pointed uh, beyond that, yeah, you could put whatever mortar in there and paint the house. Uh, but once you paint that brick, you're stuck with paint on it forever. Uh, the nice thing about brick is there's virtually zero maintenance. But once you start painting it, it's like any other painted surface. It's It's got to be cleaned regularly. It's got to be repainted on a periodic basis. You know, it, you, you lose that durability factor. Sure, sure. 
so what what is the life i mean i'm looking at looking at his brick it looks like you know there's a glaze or that you know it, it looks like the brick the, the exterior of the brick is actually already broken down yeah you know um uh, is it still still viable at that point oh yeah is, should we okay yeah remember so the brick is the brick is about uh three three and a half inches thick yep and so right. it's got a lot of wear on it and you know, just to, to give you a, an example, the buildings at the Declaration of Independence and and all the buildings going back to the start of the country, sure. they, were all, they were all brick and they're still there. Still there, yep, yep. And we're a young, we're a young country compared to others. Yep. Yeah, I've got yep. cousins right. in Germany that live in houses that are over 400 years old. So, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll stand a long time. Very well. All righty, sir. Appreciate your help. Thank you. You bet. Take care. Have a good day. Bye. Yeah, brick brick is actually very durable, and you can paint it. Now, if you do have moisture going into it where it's becoming a problem, you can put a masonry sealer on it. Uh, it's not, And you can use a, nothing more than a pump-up sprayer and spray it down, and it'll soak in, seal that uh, brick, and, hey, you're good to go. So that may be a, another option you want to take a look at because what typically breaks the brick down is the moisture that goes into it. We have to use masonry sealers on fireplaces a lot because that water comes inside, but typically on the outside brick on the wall, we don't typically redo it, but nothing wrong with doing it that way. Let's go out to New Caney. Hello, Rusty. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. Rusty, that was not the type of voice I was expecting with the name Rusty. <laughs> Do you know it hit my mind as soon as you said it? <laughs> my maiden name was Rustin, R-U-S-T-I-N. So, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm having a problem. Um, I have had a um, dryer, worked well for a long time. It went out um, after... Uh, having repairs in the bathroom. Um, the floor was replaced, uh-huh. and um, the and I uh, actually <laughs> um, did my own kind of venting, which it goes down under. Um, I'm in a mobile home. Goes down under the mobile home, and so because there never was an outlet outside, you know, like through the wall. Right. Okay. So I did that, and uh, anyway, the dryer quit. And, you know, it was old, so I thought, okay. And then I got another dryer, not new, but anyway, another dryer. And it wasn't very long before it quit. And now I'm wondering, do you think it could be like electrical, or do you think it might be like maybe my venting? Would, Would it make, if the dryer got too hot or something? Well, if a dryer gets too hot, yes, it can, you know it can overheat. Normally, it would shut it down, not quit completely. There should be nothing wrong though with venting it under and taking it out that way. Okay. Now you do need to check, make sure you don't have any big kinks in your vent hose to okay. to get it out. But yeah. beyond that, no, nah, it shouldn't. That going, venting it down shouldn't be an issue at all. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now on the electrical though. Uh-huh. Because it is 220, mm-hmm. uh, it, it is very possible to have a weak link. Okay. Uh, one of the legs not working properly, and that could wear on the you know, on the uh, motors and stuff. So did the whole dryer shut down or just the heating elements or 
Oh, yeah. You know, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's been it's been a while and I've been and I've forgotten about that. I didn't think about that. Um yeah, because if the element, if it's just the heating elements shutting down, that's one problem. Uh-huh. Versus if the motor that turns the the drum shutting down, that's that's a different issue. Okay, I've got it on, and the drum is going round and round, but it's the heating element. Okay, that very well could be. Then one leg of the two twenty is out. Okay, so all I need to do is like call an electrician yeah, well, to check that first. Uh, start by resetting your breakers on it first. Oh, shut I the, did that. Shut the breakers off and turn it back yeah, on. Yeah, I did that several times because I'd heard about that if you did it like yeah. twice, but I did it several times. Okay. <laughs> and it did not get hot. So Then okay. then the next thing I would do is, yes, I would have an electrician check out the power since you had two of them go out. Yeah. I'm betting you got a weak leg coming over yeah. to the dryer. Yeah, because I can't. I just can't imagine it would go out so quickly. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You bet. Take Appreciate care, Rusty. You. Just a reminder: it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Let's go to Channel View. Hello, Rick. Hey, how's it going today? Wonderful. How about you? Doing well. Uh, the reason I was calling is my wife and I. We're in the middle of a kitchen remodel, and we're trying to make an uh, educated decision between granite countertop versus silestone granite top or countertops. Okay. Yeah, and I was wondering if you had a recommendation on that, uh, well, one I'm, versus the other. I, I do, and, and it really depends on how much you use your kitchen and what type uh, of cooking you do. Uh, we use it uh, probably five nights a week. And okay. uh, we we don't do like any really. When you say uh, cooking, you're talking about like frying and stuff like that, or no? I, I'm I'm more lo- leaning towards. Uh, are you doing a lot of like uh, red meat and chicken and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, we do do that, you know, quite a bit of that. Yeah. Okay. I love the looks of granite countertops, and mm-hmm. they are strong. They're durable, but they're porous. Right. And so. Um, when you get uh, blood on them, whether it's from beef or chicken or pork or or fish or whatever, it can actually soak into the countertop, and mm-hmm. then it, it it bacteria will grow on it. Sure. So the counter, if you go with granite, the countertop's going to have to be sealed at least once a year, and it, and it's right. not difficult. It's just a good cleaning, and then you apply the sealer. Uh, however, when stuff soaks into it, it can discolor that area. Right. Now, usually if it dries out good, it'll, the, uh, if it was a clear liquid, then it would disappear. But if it's something that it can actually stain, where a silestone or any of those man-made materials, they're not porous. They don't absorb anything. And so you don't have to go through all those resealing steps and, and things like that. Uh, I've got absolutely nothing against granite countertops other than people look at them and think they never have to do anything, and, and you actually do. Right. Have, have you heard of the uh, sensor uh, granite? The one, uh, I think they have like a pre, they're pre-sealed. Well, even the pre-sealed, though, it's only good for so long, and then you still have to reseal it. Okay. 
All right. Okay, but, well, that helps uh, us out. Yeah, I mean, if you like the looks of it, though, and you don't mm -hmm. mind, you, because truly the sealer is nothing major to put on. You just have to remember to do it. It's kind of like changing the filter on the air conditioner. You just right. have to remember to do it. And as long as you do that, those countertops are just fine. You're talking like once a year, something like yeah, that? Yeah, once a year is it. Okay. All right. Appreciate the information. You bet. Take care. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And, uh, you know, again, I, I love the looks of, of granite countertops, but you do have to remember it's got to be maintained. And if you don't maintain it, it can become an issue down the road. Uh with, with just the bacteria issues. The other thing is you spill wine or something like that on a granite countertop, and it's if it soaks into it like a red wine, it will stain a granite countertop. And a lot of times we think, oh, no, that's that's stone. It's not going to, to stain. I don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. But you, you actually do. Uh, and the color of it does make a huge difference on how stains are going to stand out on it so it's just one of those things to keep in mind it's gorgeous to look at but it's not necessarily the most durable countertop that you can put in so this comes from rosie and she's here in houston we have moisture coming through walls upstairs and downstairs in a one-year-old home in memorial the builder blames all the subs from window installer to roof installer. They all say it's not their fault. We need a professional who can diagnose the problem so that we can get it resolved ASAP. Rosie, it ain't but one person's fault, and that's the builder themselves. He can pass it off to the subs if he'd like, but it's up to him to get it fixed as the general contractor who built the home. The buck stops with him, and if he's not willing to step up and do it, that's where you need to have a certified letter sent to him outlining what the problems are and letting them know that you're going to go after him for it. And if you need an expert to take a look at it, give Deaver's Engineering a call, and they can come out, take a look, and, and help you as far as what's going on with the home. But definitely, this is a builder's problem. It doesn't matter which one of his subs was the the ultimate culprit it only matters that he's going to stand behind the work he did and that's the reason it's his problem and this comes in from carol and katie and she says dear jim advise please for the best product vendor to use to repipe my early 1980s house that has galvanized pipe i'm seeing systems and realize it's a ticking time bomb. The home is about 2,300 square feet, and I have blown in insulation. How does that affect the process and price, if at all? Price ranges, time frame. Thanks, Carol. Well, Carol, you got a couple of choices here. First of all, a 1980s home, you really shouldn't have to be replacing the pipes yet. Now, there are some homes that were built with imported copper from China, and that copper was wearing very quickly. And so if that's what you have in your home, yeah, you very well could be getting holes, especially on the elbows and things like that. As far as how you can replace it, right now, I would you got multiple, but the two that I would say are your best options. One is to go with PEX, which is a flexible pipe, 
and it is very easy to have it installed, uh, very durable, and it's really what they're plumbing most of the new homes with nowadays. The other would be a system called E-pipe, where they basically sandblast through the pipes to clean them out, blow an epoxy resin in there to seal the leaks, and and that's it. You're done. Cost-wise, they run almost the same. There's not really a huge difference cost-wise. Uh, you mentioned your house is about 2,300 square feet, you know, and based on that, I can't give you a real accurate number, but I can tell you you're you're going to be somewhere. It depends on the number of bathrooms, kitchen facilities, you know, all the fixtures and stuff go into it. But you could be looking at as little as $6,000 to as much as $15,000 uh, with Somewhere in the middle are probably being the, the highest mark. But, again, it all depends on the house. You know, one-story versus two-story, where the pipes run. Uh, and then, of course, what's got to be done for sheetrock repair afterwards. A lot of people don't realize, but regardless of which way you go, you're still going to have some sheetrock repair. Because if you're going to do a e-pipe system, for instance, and you're shower valves and tub valves don't have access panels, well, the sheetrock's got to be cut for that because all pipes have to be disconnected from the valves. But if you're going to go with a PEX-type system, you're still going to have to cut the hole. So both systems are going to have sheetrock repairs. Uh, for me, I can go either way. It's really going to depend on the cost and the particular structure. I will tell you, if you go with the e-pipe system, you do have to make sure to tell plumbers when they come out to work on your home that you have that because they do have to address a few things a little bit different when it comes to fittings and, and things like that. But other than that, both systems will work just fine. We're going to talk with Michael. How can I help you? i got a couple of questions for you. So lately in my mailbox, I'm getting these solicitations, which uh, look like it's from the electric company, Centerpoint, but it's really from HomeServe, and they're, they're soliciting me to get coverage for my, my gas line from the, you know, from the provider to my house, and they want to, you know, get you protection up to 8000 and $5.50 a month, and I'm wondering, how often does somebody's gas line really, you know, deteriorate to that level where you'd, you know, need to have coverage or get it replaced? Is that a real thing, or how often does that ever happen? It, it does happen. Uh, you know, the bigger problem isn't the lines coming from the uh, gas provider to the house. It's actually the lines that the gas provider has. Uh, I don't I, I don't know if you saw the news stories last year about the house that blew up in Dallas. It was actually a year ago now and killed a, a little girl, and then they ended up emptying out like 3,000 homes to redo all the gas lines in that area. Our infrastructure is deteriorating, and so it is requiring that a lot of these lines be replaced. But I'll be honest with you, replacing a, the gas line, they're only, are they talking about the one only to your meter or from the meter to the house? Meter to the house. Okay. Where's your meter? Is it by the house or is it out by the fence? Uh, it's by the house, actually. So how much line are we talking about? 
you know, like, a, I don't know, a foot, two foot. Exactly. So that, and that's what I'm getting at. It, okay. it probably doesn't pay to get the insurance, even though it sounds cheap at, you know, five fifty a month. Right. It, when you start thinking about it, by the time you have to do anything, it's probably already well paid for itself not to have that insurance. Right. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Jim. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye. On that gas line, if your meter's out by the fence, hey, it may pay to take a look at it. But, again, it's not that unbelievably expensive to have that line replaced from the meter to the house. And your plumber can do that for you. So I'll be honest with you. I would not be buying that type of insurance. Uh, it, it's just not one of those things that's high on the list of needing. And that's the reason it is so cheap. Hello, Monty. Yes. How are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing great. What can I do I've for got, you? I've got an issue with uh, I'm in a 30-year-old home with quite a few square feet of wood floors and just in the last probably couple of weeks uh in the evenings as the temperature drops the wood floors are making a popping sound yep and i don't know what to do not a thing not a thing (laughs) (laughs) here's what's causing it uh wood expands and contracts with temperature changes so does the concrete so does steel all the building materials expand and contract with temperature changes And honestly, there's nothing you're going to do that's going to change that. Changing the humidity in the uh, in this time of the year, I'd read on an internet section that it possibly had it was too dry and we needed to put some humidity in the air. That's not true. Typically, not in our area, not in the Houston area. Now, if you were talking like Arizona, yes, you can get into that problem. But uh, you know, when we when our humidity levels go down, mm-hmm. we're still higher than the, the high humidities in Arizona typically. <laughs> so uh, it's it normally not going to, the humidity is normally not going to be an issue. And even when we do drop to low humidity, right, we only stay there for a day or two. Correct. And I'm not seeing any separations or any interruption in the, you know, the, the uh, integrity of the floor. So yeah. I will hold Pat just as you advise. Newer home? No, sir. Thirty years. Okay. How about the, what's the age of the floor? Uh, probably thirty years, but it was uh, refinished less than ten months ago. Ah, so you know what you did when you refinished it? I didn't do it, but somebody did. Yeah. They uh, see. It, well, it it's sealed the top now. I see. And I so, see. yes, it, it, it is going to change a little bit, but it is it is definitely nothing to worry about. Good. It's music to my ears. Thank you for your advice. You bet. Take care. Good day. Bye. Yeah, anytime, you know, if you bought a pre-finished floor, for instance, you put it down, it's got the gaps. Even though you got them nice and tight, it's still got gaps that can keep things dehumidified underneath and all that. When you refinish a floor and you put a new finish over the top, you have now sealed it. And that does change the way uh, the the floor is going to react a little bit, but nothing that should cause you any problems at all. Unless you got too much humidity coming up through the concrete, but even if you had the gaps, you would still have an issue with that. Michael, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yeah, Jim, I have a, I had a scaffold windows replaced. 
uh-huh. like last year. And I got two. Th- I got two problems. I got mold on the, on the inside of the window, and feel like on my on my north side of my house a lot of wind blows. Yeah. And I can feel wind coming through the window. What causes that? Or I got bad windows. Well. It could be something in the way the window was put together. It could be the way it was installed. Now, the mold can be that the windows are sweating on the inside, which would tell me that they may not be insulating the way they should. And as far as the air, the feeling the air, it can either be around the, you know, the part where the window slides up and down. If the seals aren't good on that, you could get air infiltration. Or if it wasn't caulked, properly you could get air infiltration uh keep in mind we've had horrendous winds the last couple days and so if it is in direct path of a 60 mile an hour wind it's possible you might get a little bit of air leakage but what i would do is call the company that put them in and let them come out and check them okay um seems like i called this company this company before uh-huh. And it seemed like to me they will seem like they they want to get me to run around for some reason, and um, I, I just uh, I, I just got these windows replaced like last year, and I, you know I spent a lot of money on these windows. Yep. And and these these are the type of windows that you know you can open from the inside, and and you want to clean the the window from the outside. Right. And I, I believe there's something wrong with the, those windows being designed as. With that wind coming in, it's, it's it's not designed right for some reason. Well, it may it's probably not in the design as much as there, there could have been something happened on the uh, assembly line when the stuff was being put together. Okay, so, so I, I will I will get back with this company that um, yeah going to put in. And if they don't want to uh, talk to you about it, just find out who the manufacturer was and go direct to the manufacturer. Okay. Because Thank you, that, sir. If, if if it's leaking air around the window, the manufacturer is actually going to be the one responsible for it. Okay. 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 I'll find out that. Thank you, sir. You bet. Take care. Uh, and, and you need to keep that in mind. You know, uh, the contractor maybe put them in, but somebody built those windows that he installed. So if it's if it is on the sliding part that's leaking air, it's actually going to fall back on the manufacturer not the installer. So, you know, you don't necessarily want to be yelling at them. Try to work them out so that they can come out, tell you who put it in and, you know, how to get them to take care of it. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com. 